Decapod, the podcast for the Roberts Lab NPRB-funded project investigating the effects of bitter crab disease and temperature changes on southeast Alaskan tanner crabs. So today I have Genevieve Johnson from UAF. University of Alaska Fairbanks. Yes, very good. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And she does stuff with crabs and other things as well with Noah Mm -hmm. currently. Um, So, I don't know. Do you want to tell me about your thesis? Yeah, so I'm a master's student at UAF, um, and I'm also working on Tanner Crab as my primary thesis project. But I'm doing the population genetic structure of tanner crab throughout the state. Um, And so I have samples from southeast Alaska, and those ones I collected, and the rest of the samples were already in a freezer. Um, Sarah Hardy, do you know her? The name is... She does a lot of work with with northern crab species. Okay. um, And benthic biology in general. So she had all the samples collected from the rest of the state, so Prince William Sound, Ketchmick Bay... Kodiak Island, the Alaska Peninsula, and then um, the Aleutian Islands, and there are two sampling regions within the Bering Sea, because at uh, 166 west, there's a line, (laughs) and uh, the harvest is regulated slightly differently on the east and the west side of that line, so I have samples from each side of that. Um, And in the past, and well, so there have been some, like, oceanographic models uh, using where larvae would drift from that have like um, shown that there's probably not a lot of movement out of the eastern side of the Bering Sea mm-hmm. um, so that could I'm just checking the, the population structure um, across the Bering Sea shelf the eastern Bering Sea shelf to see um, how distinct those regions are um, because there's a lot of questions about whether they need to be looked at separately or whether there's a lot of migrants between there. <laughs> so that's like, yeah, that's one of the main components of the project. And then also um, Cook Inlet and Shekelof Strait, I think that's how you say it. Um, there are, there's some regions there where oil companies are, or land might be sold to oil companies, and so we want to know um, about the the crabs that are breeding in that region and whether the, there's a lot of um, movement of individuals in any direction in that region, too, mm-hmm. um, especially because the Alaska coastal current is really strong between Kodiak Island and the mainland right there, I think, so... Um, yeah, and, and crabs have, have you talked about it on the show, where they release their eggs from the bottom, but then the larvae are drifting around for months, so. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't <laughs> talked about anything like that okay. yet. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, well, we could get into the life cycle yeah. a little bit. Um, awesome. There sure. are videos, or I guess they first found with a camera on an ROV, mounds of tanner crab, mm-hmm. um, females mating off of Kodiak Island. I don't know if they do mounds mating anywhere else. I just know that they they saw it off of Kodiak 
and they also release larvae, like, well, they, they incubate the eggs for a year. But they release larvae in the spring. Um, and then the first stage is, like, I think a day. But then the next couple stages can be up to a month, and they're dependent on temperature um, before they are, become megalope and settle down mm-hmm. to the bottom again. So if there is a strong current, like, in certain areas that and there's been weak genet so back in the 90s um the sieve lab when they were when they were not here when they were actually in alaska before there was a gene conservation lab or anything in the state they found like with alazyme some weak genetic structures um based on haplotypes that that possibly tanner crab um do show, like, some evidence of being transported by the Alaska Coastal Current, hmm. which wouldn't be surprising. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it wasn't, like, it was, like, yeah, very weakly statistically evident. So we're trying to um, increase that resolution with the new technology that's available yeah. and just see how how these individuals um how can we tease them apart across the state? Um, is Southeast very distinct because it's a fjordal system, or does that not really matter? Or mm-hmm. um, yeah, are they running across the Bering Sea shelf because it's really flat? Because it seems like the snow crab are doing that, but the tanner crab occupy slightly different um, waters. So yeah, it's not clear whether they're um, affected the same way. So I'm. Um, I did a double digest rad seek project to find to sequence like I think I ended up sequencing probably less than a percent of the genome <laughs> with with this. Um, I don't actually know how big the genome is. I haven't checked, and well, I've looked online and there isn't a reference in the animal genome database. But um, based on like how many. Uh, repeated reads I got, Mm -hmm. assuming it was a pretty small fraction of the genome that I sequenced, and so, um, yeah, I'm using that to find SNPs, and then using those SNPs to do population structure analyses and see how, how individuals are related across the state. Um, right now it looks like they're just a big blob, (laughs) so like a high degree of migration and mixing. Yeah. Um, which isn't surprising for marine species, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm still yeah. Don't have like exciting answers there, um, and I haven't looked into a directional flow or anything like that yet to compare to um, that really early paper. So yeah, that's kind of one of the steps that I want to take. Um, they also. They combine, so I have all of these regions that I listed out, Southeast, mm-hmm. Prince William Sound, Ketchumak Bay, um, and I've been comparing at that resolution, so I'm also going to look into just, like, broad geographic, like, Gulf of Alaska, mm-hmm. Bering Sea, what are we seeing at a large geographic scale. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. So that's the gist nice. of the project. Nice. You're pretty much almost <laughs> done. Um, I sort of. want to graduate soon. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
Um, cool. So, maybe switching a little bit, if you could tell me about your experience with sampling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mentioned that Sarah Hardy had most of the samples on hand, but the samples that we had from Southeast Alaska, and we had over 100 from Southeast Alaska, um, they were all degraded. Mm. So, whoever, yeah, however they were preserved, it didn't work. Um, so I was like, oh, I need new samples, and contacted Alaska Department of Fish and Game, and they said that they usually have a graduate student on the first leg of the king crab survey because it's the survey, or it's the leg that they get the most crab on, and so they need extra hands just to sort <laughs> males, females, this species, that species. Um, so I went out with them two years, and um, another student at UAF has gone out with them a couple of years before I did. So, um, they're like, yeah, really like having students on that first leg. Cool. And I collected hemolymph samples while I was doing that. So, um, well, I did have a problem like transporting ethanol to <laughs> Juno. I had to like ship it on the air cargo instead of the plane. So if you're doing that ever, uh, yeah, okay. plan ahead. Yeah. Get to the airport early and yeah, but. So, yeah, I caught, or I took uh, 0.2 milliliters of hemolymph and put it into a little vial. Mm-hmm. And that was with enough eth- eth- ethanol that it um, stayed preserved for as long as I needed. Nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we good. store them also um, in the fridge, I think, too. So yeah. if stuff doesn't preserve well, yeah, you're not losing those samples because that was... One of the main problems I had with this project is that things were collected several different years, and I had some samples that were collected more than one year, so I wanted to use that to check for a temporal variation across the data set and make sure that I could rule out that kind of variation. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't because the samples that were older, or actually, no, I think they were ones that were newer. They just weren't preserved well. Oh, no. Um, yeah, so, so, like, it... Sampling and, like, preser- sample preservation is... People need to consider that. Yeah, it's pretty important. Geneticists <laughs> are like, oh, come on, I can't work with this. <laughs> yeah, so... Oh, no. Um, that's... Yeah, but how, like... How much were you guys taking when you were collecting hemolymph in the lab? Um, that's a good question. I have written down somewhere in here. Because you... I was using a ratio, like a ratio of two to two to ten, I think, of ethanol to hemolymph, mm-hmm. because you need a lot of ethanol. Like you don't want to dilute your ethanol. Yeah. Um. Well, we didn't use ethanol. We used RNA later. Right. Oh, because you're doing RNA. I forgot about yeah. that. Hemolymph's weird because it's not a tissue. Like it's not. Mm-hmm. It's liquid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you need kind of a lot to get enough cells. What I did on my project, I took two separate... I, I forgot to mention this. I actually pulled 0.4 out of the crab, and I put two into two separate vials so that... Because I realized that you went to, through this problem, too. You, you have to spin down the hemolymph mm-hmm. to do the extraction. Mm-hmm. And once you do that one time, like, that's your extraction. That's your sample. It's gone. So you're testing, like, you don't have a backup. Yeah. 
So the second time I went out to collect, the second year when I was collecting for an undergrad, I didn't actually use those project those samples for my project, but I collected two vials for every crab. So yeah. we have two sets. That's because smart. hemolymph is, yeah, you only get to extract it once. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or you could spin it down and like scoop the pellet out, half of the pellet yeah. out <laughs> somewhere. But half of the, like, you kind of need all of what you get because mm-hmm. you don't get a lot. Right. Um, yeah, that's something first, to consider next time. Yeah, because that's what I, I something I realized second time around. I was like, oh, I want backups of all of these. Yeah, yeah, that's something that. So we had three sample dates. The first two sample dates, we just took one sample mm-hmm. per crab. But then the third sample date, we took three samples per crab. Right. Which is nice. Okay, good. So now, like, I feel good about like that sample day, but then the other two days, I'm like, oh, I have to really like. Yeah, and these. it's not that <laughs> it's not that hard. Like you. To do it at the time, because yeah. you just take more out, but you don't think of it going into the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was something I definitely noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you and are you using those three different samples for different things, or you just wanted more from that day for... Was there a reason? Um, I don't think so. I mean, so the project was sort of create Like, it was definitely created before I knew anything about it Mm -hmm. um and Pam was the one doing all the sampling and the experimental setup and takedown and all that stuff so when I came up for the final sample day um she just sort of was like well this time we're gonna do three samples per crab okay so um it might have been because we had a big die-off in our warm treatment crabs so you had extra vials (laughs) yeah that's probably Um, part of it (laughs) or to just have like a super like super good backup of things yeah, um, next time around, I'm going to definitely do that whenever I sample the next time. Yeah. It's it's nice to have more than one. Because the tissue samples that I have, I just take a chunk of tissue off them, and you're good. But it's like when you're taking hemolymph cells, you spin the whole thing down. You use the whole DNA extract. Yeah. And if it didn't meet your thresholds, like it's kind of hard to get it there. Yeah. Did you have a hard time actually getting hemolymph out? Because... Some days, or some of like the previous sample days that we had, um, it was hard to tell if you're actually getting hemolymph and not just like from the crab? other liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, like how'd you? No, I that? so I would <laughs> use gravity oh. to my advantage. Yeah, so I kind of you can stick it in like the uh, I don't know the names of my segments. I never took. I don't an anatomy know class. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so not the not the joint that's like between the leg and the carapace, mm-hmm. but the one that's like the next one down on the leg, kind of like what a knee would be. Oh. So I go in that way, and then okay. I hold the crab kind of tilted, um, so that the body of it is above where the needle is. Okay. And then I um, pull really slowly. And I, the second, so this is another thing between the first year and the second year. The first year I had a, a narrower diameter needle. Mm-hmm. Second year I went with a, a wider diameter needle because, because when they're bitter, it can get really, cl- yeah, like, thick. thick. And like, yes. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the healthy ones were pretty easy, but the bitter ones, it was too thick to get, like, I'd get bubbles sometimes, so. Yeah. Yeah, using gravity. I don't know if that really does anything, but it felt like it it did help with the flow. And then I, like, pulled, yeah, slowly with with the wider needle really helped. 
Okay. Um, it wasn't so wide that it was, like, giving them a massive wound or anything. Right, yeah. <laughs> but just, like, yeah, Gross. a couple millimeters difference was, like, really helpful. Okay. Um, and then I also did king crab hemolymph extractions on the mm. survey on the first leg, or the first year, because someone at UAF wanted to check whether they could, oh, what was it? It was like a hormone study, I think. They wanted, I don't even know if they used the samples ever. <laughs> I collected like 25 of them. They were like, will you be able to get 25? And I was like, do you realize how many you catch in each pot? <laughs> yes, I can get you 25. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll have pots of like 100. So oh my God. those ones, like, so like tuna crab, when you have them upside down, they just like hang out upside down. They kind of maybe try to pinch you, but they're they can't. Their legs aren't in a position where they have any power. But the king crabs can like flip themselves back oh, forward. Wow. So, and they just have more yeah range of motion. Mm-hmm. So they would like pinch my gloves off while I was <laughs> doing that, and they like I had to yeah hold them down with one hand. And Jeez. they're way harder, but their humans float like they have so much, like it's easier to get it. Mm-hmm. So, if you're ever doing other crab species, okay. they're kind of mean, but they're easier to get a lot <laughs> flowing. I think probably because they're not all bitter. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have thick, disgusting mm-hmm. ones. Yeah. <laughs> I took pictures the second year, too, if you're interested. Um, so, I sent you Omar's poster, mm-hmm. and we saw, like, low levels. Well, we haven't sequenced what was actually, like, we used a primer that was specific to the dinoflagellate, but we haven't sequenced the, the reaction um, what was amplified yet. Mm-hmm. So we have to double check that it was actually, they all did have bitter, um, or did have the, the parasite. Mm-hmm. But I took pictures of the hemolymph as I was doing it because it was, like, varying shades of cloudy. And I was like, well, someone oh, could, like, cool. rank the cloudy. Ah, oh, that's super cool. <laughs> yeah, so I have those. They're not organized, but they're all... I took them, yeah, in order with a picture of what the crab looked like, a picture of what the hemolymph looked like, and then we have the QPCR reading for that. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool to see. Just FYI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess now that you're almost done with your thesis what do you think you want to do next so I'm working this year with Noah Mm -hmm. Um, I've been working half with the ecosystem monitoring group and half with the genetics group so I got to like go out to the arctic and do surveys there Um, and like yeah help with just like like yeah ecosystem based studies Um, but then also I was like doing a project on chum salmon and like, uh, they do a lot of stock composition estimates and, and stuff like that. Um, I liked that, but I want to get more, like, practice with bioinformatics because, like, I mean, I'm using them for my project. But I feel like I've mostly Googled my way through mm-hmm. and just used people's tutorials and, like, yeah, re- heavily relied on GitHub pages and just there's a lot of resources out there yeah but I want um like a lot of like a lot of practice so that it just becomes second nature I think that's kind of 
So anything that can get me that, a job, Mm -hmm. another, a PhD project, like something. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to apply for a lot of things. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because, like, I want to come back to Noah at some point. I think it's been really fun to work there for a year. Um, But I want to, like, come back, like, with a lot of knowledge under my belt. I feel like I'm, like, I'm, I could do a good job in a permanent position now, but I want more time to really hone my skills, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm not, like, I'm not, like, set on one species. Some people get very into a certain species, and I just, I mean, I could study crab for another ten years. That would be fun. (laughs) But... (laughs) But I'm not, like, married to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of, like, wandered into the project. It's been fun. Um, and, like, yeah, I'm glad that I'm doing it. So many, like, fun surveys and stuff. And Yeah, but to learn the skills that I want to learn, you can do it with any, like, I can study humans and still learn things. Mm-hmm. So not yeah. that I want to. Right. But... <laughs> Yeah, that's a hard question for me to answer. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that, yeah, being earlier in your master's, it's not any easier. No, I, I have no idea. <laughs> when I started, I applied for positions with, like, marine bio-oceanography and fisheries, and they were like, oh, wow. you need to narrow down <laughs> what you're interested in. So I was like, okay, fisheries. <laughs> yeah. As you get results back and yes, if will. you're stuck on things or anything like that definitely contact me cool I will yeah maybe I'll be in Seattle yeah maybe I'll be back in Juneau (laughs) (laughs) anything else you want to share about your thanks for having me on the podcast of course I love podcasts I'll probably like listen to this episode because I listen to podcasts all the time okay cool yeah I'll try to be better about (laughs) posting things Thank you for listening to Decapod, the podcast dedicated to the Tanner Crab Project funded by NPRB. Check out our website at bittercrab.science for more information.